Hello and welcome to the Sunshine House podcast, a cozy corner of the podcast sphere where I get to talk to children's book authors about their creativity and their books. My name is Zanny Louise. I'm a children's book author writing picture books, chapter books, middle grade and most recently young adult fiction. I also do private mentoring. You can check out my services on my website zannylouise.com. I have a new offer which is Ask Me Anything. So you can come and have a chat with me for half an hour about whether it's brainstorming your next story, maybe it's a question about the industry. I have online courses such as the Sunshine House Masterclass program which has a catalog of loads and loads of online learning materials as well as monthly group mentoring and I've most recently just released news about the next Blue Mountains retreat which will be held on the 24th to the 26th of May in 2024. We have the wonderful Frey Blackwood coming down for the weekend to run workshops. We have Gus Gordon coming up from Sydney and Rebecca Young who I've spoken about before. She is an acclaimed picture book author but she's also senior publisher at Scholastic working on series such as Pig the Pug, Bad Guys and the Ando books. It will be a really beautiful weekend we actually don't have many spots left but if you want to come and check out what we do have available drop by my website zannylouise.com today is a very special conversation with my friend Rory H Mather we actually met a couple of weeks ago in Kingscliff on the day Rory's book My Little Star came out into the world He had his adorable five-month-old baby Ada on his lap during our conversation. We were talking in a pub at 10 o'clock in the morning uh, and it was just such a lovely conversation. Unfortunately, though, we couldn't use the recording because the music in the pub was too loud and drowned out Rory's voice, so definitely couldn't use it. We've met again today, two weeks later. It's equally as a beautiful conversation. Rory speaks so honestly and openly about grief and loss. We do talk about miscarriage quite extensively, so I just want to flag that for you in case you need that warning. It's so important to have these conversations about difficult topics. It's also really important that we have children's books about these difficult topics. So thank you for listening in to our conversation recorded on Bundjalung Land. Hi, Rory. Welcome to the Sunshine House. Hi, Danny. Thanks for having me. Well, very glad to have you back. Um, I spoke to you, I think it was two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago? One week ago on the day of the release of My Little Star. We met on the day it came out in the world. We met in Kingscliff and... It seemed like it was the, you know, podcast of dreams, getting to meet in person on the day of your release, had this beautiful chat, absolutely beautiful chat. And then when I listened back to the recording, yeah, it was unviable. Uh, (laughs) We couldn't hear your voice over the sound of the background music that was happening in the pub where we met at 10 a.m., which was so sad because it was such a beautiful conversation. Anyway, I'm sorry that didn't work out. (laughs) That's all right. I'm just thrilled to have a uh, second chance to talk to you again. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Well, true. We get double up. That's positive. So um, My Little Star is a beautiful picture book uh, illustrated by Matt Shanks. Can you tell us a little bit about this story? I know it's um, quite personal for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. So um, I'll tell you the background about why and when I wrote it. I've been pretty open about um, my wife and my journey to having um, children. So in 2018, we started trying for a baby and it worked out pretty soon that 
um, things weren't going to plan and we did some testing and turns out I'm pretty much infertile, go me. But then we started down the journey of IVF and we were nervous about that, but optimistic. And we were absolutely thrilled when after our first collection and transfer, uh, we got pregnant and we immediately just started thinking, well, that was not the plan, but you know, um, at least we like the plan wasn't to do IVF, but you know, it's it's worked out really, really well for us. Go ask, we're better than everyone else. Um, but um, <laughs> and then uh, that pregnancy lasted um, nine weeks. I remember the day very clearly because on the, we were going for our nine week scan, and when, when you're doing IVF, you have lots of little scans, so you see a heartbeat at um, seven weeks, and if you're nervous, or what you come in and check up again and whatnot. Um, so we we're going for our nine week scan, and I remember at the time. They were going to do be doing a blood test to get find out the gender of the um, baby, and I was very naive and thought that we'd find out that day, so I was very excited. So we're in um, the little scanning room, and um, the, and then there was just no heartbeat, and that was probably one of the most sad experiences I've had to that point in my life. Um, that embryo went and got tested, and um, it would be a little boy um, turned out, but there was nothing wrong with him, and. So we thought, well, that's just unfortunate. But, you know, miscarriages, um, a frightful number of women have miscarriages every year in this country and around the world. It's it's insane that it's um, so common but not really spoken about too often. And so we put it down to like, oh, one time, that's bad luck, and we'll just go again. So we, we already had some um, embryos on ice, and um, sounds like a musical. And um, <laughs> so we, we did another transfer a few months later. And same thing happened again. Like got to nine weeks, got to the nine week scan. We already seen the heartbeat at seven weeks. Had a beautiful little video of this pulsating heart, and uh, uh, that was probably the first time where I thought um, potentially that we wouldn't have kids. And um, I've always wanted to be a dad. Ever, ever since I was a little, little kid, I wanted to be a dad. I think because I had such a good dad myself. So, and that, it was after that miscarriage um, that I wrote a little poem called Little Star. I wrote the poem, uh, it would have been April, about April 2019. So before I had any um, books signed up with any publishers, before I had an agent, um, mm. before I had anything really. Mm. And um, I, wrote, I wrote it really just to um, to deal with my own grief. Like I remember writing it and like crying the whole time. And, and then I showed it to my wife, Georgia, and she also cried and, and loved it and said, I really hope one day you get published. And I really hope one day you get this story published. And um, fast forward a few years, so we'd had, we had another miscarriage, a third miscarriage, and then um, we had a few years of where we just didn't get pregnant at all. Um, and then uh, in 2021, we got pregnant and we got past our nine-week scan, we got past our 12-week scan, we did, um, NA, I think it's the NAPT or something like that. We did a scan that's about um, 14 weeks where they, they check for um, genetic abnormalities and stuff, and um, this baby was tracking beautifully and um, everything was going well. And so every week that went by, I, we started to feel a little bit more confident. And um, we got to a 20-week scan. And that 20-week um, scan, that's where they're checking to see that baby's got um, aught's limbs and it's got all the um, different sides of the brain and uh, as many as heart uh, valves it's meant to have and whatnot. And everything um, with Bub was perfect. So we were super excited. And um, Bub gave us a little peace sign on the on the <laughs> um, screen. But everything was perfect with Bub, but there was a little issue with um, George's cervix, which um, was starting to funnel and starting to open. Uh, they were worried, but they weren't super worried. So they said, look, um, we'll put you on progesterone, which is a hormone, um, which 
they said had like a 99% success rate for getting you to um, a viable pregnancy. So viable is 24 weeks. We were at 20 weeks. They said like ideally um, we'd get you to 28 to 32 weeks with progesterone. Um, but they will monitor the situation. And so they booked us in for uh, another um, scan in a week's time. And if, if anything had changed, um, they were going to put in a stitch to keep baby in there. But we didn't get to that next scan on, on the Sunday. So this was on the Wednesday. On the Sunday, um, Georgia felt a bit funny, and we went in for an um, emergency scan, and her cervix had completely opened. And I just remember, I remember that scan more than any other scans because that, like, oddly – Obviously, we're both very emotional, um, but Georgia had to sort of comfort me in that moment because I was just sobbing mm-hmm. uncontrollably. And uh, even even with the earlier miscarriages, you you, you pin all your hopes, and you, you you even in the few weeks that we had had those um, embryos growing and whatnot, you, you plan the future in your head, and then particularly when it's you're halfway through a pregnancy, you really have planned the future. You started buying things. You've told everyone, like we literally just announced, we, we were nervous, so we waited till I think 19 weeks before we announced mm-hmm. that we were pregnant. Yeah, I remember um, the announcement and how happy we all were for you because you were so, even then, very honest about your journey up until that point. And, yeah, I remember it yeah, well. Yeah, and then, yeah, it just all went terribly wrong. And um, the worst part, I think the worst part for us was knowing that there was nothing wrong with um, little Evie and we all were always planned we knew we were having a girl and we um evie was the name we picked and it was, like it was actually the only name we'd always agreed on evie didn't come for another 24 hours so georgia didn't go into labor we had a very sleepless night that night um in the hospital and um georgia didn't go into labor till um about midday the next day and then labor went for nine hours and knowing that um at the end of nine hours you weren't going to have a um a baby that was going to survive was pretty hard i yeah i yeah. It oh, it's hard. heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. Yeah. I'm so sorry you guys went through this journey together. And yeah, I'm so sorry for the loss of little Evie. It's yeah, absolutely heartbreaking, Rory. What happened for as a result of that? Like it the story I'd written in 2019 took on so much more importance to us. Mm. And um so I told my publishers um, that we were pregnant and they'd, they'd already sent us like a, a beautiful gift pack of books and things. I told them straight away too because I didn't want to, um, like particularly when we were in hospital, I just didn't want to, I didn't really want to talk to anyone. But I, as soon as we got out of hospital, I said, look, I, I'm obviously very upset at the moment. But I said, the one thing that brings me joy in life is my writing. And, and if you get any news with writing, um, get in contact with me. A week later, my, my agent called me in just to see how it was and, Margaret's the loveliest lady in the world. And um, I said to her, Margaret, the one thing I need to know now is that my little star is going to come out. And we already had an offer from Scholastic on the story um, in, I think it was November or December the previous year, but the time ago, way we'd been working on a few other projects. And so the contract hadn't come through yet and we weren't chasing it because we knew it was going to come and there was no real rush. But then Margaret got on the phone to Scholastic and um, next day a contract was there. So... It's mm-hmm. on the contract and yeah, pretty soon we found out Matt was going to be illustrating and I, I love Matt's style and um everyone was so supportive throughout the whole time and throughout the whole project. Like I know you you were very supportive of us and um, mm-hmm. Maggie and the whole Ryan community. But Scholastic and um Margaret and Matt were incredible too and that's put so much effort into into the story and like so many different little details that I feel add so much to it and make it more special. Like um Matt had the idea of putting um 
the end papers being a, like a, a starry night and then putting a little name of um like we reached out to people we knew who who um had miscarriages or, or um stillbirths or had lost babies um after they've been born asked like with their permission to put the names there and everyone everyone we asked was just so thrilled to have that opportunity to remember their their child oh, in that way. What a beautiful um, gesture from both of you. That's just such a beautiful gesture. Yeah. It was all Matt. I always felt like what I'd written was a simple little poem. That meant a lot to me, but was essentially just a simple little poem. And Matt transformed it into this beautiful um, story where really the, the, the concept is essentially of siblings reaching for something that's just out of reach, but wishing they could reach it. And, oh. um, and he's done that through so many different ways. It's in the last few weeks, I've had so many people message me, so many strangers message me. I had the, yes, I had someone in Canada uh, message me because they, um, they'd seen, I did a TikTok explaining why I'd written the story and they saw the TikTok and, um, they were saying they tried to find it on, on, um, right over there, but they can't. And, um, is there any way that they could potentially get a copy? So I'm going to sort that. I'm going to work out how to get them a copy. But yeah, I think it's, um, it's touched a lot of people already in the, in the two and a bit weeks it's been out. And, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? And completely fair enough. Like it, writing about grief and loss, not that I've specifically done it in my own books, but it's a very delicate balance to get that right for kids. You know, you want to write something that's uplifting, I guess, and safe for them. And I think that's what you and Matt have been able to achieve by creating this beautiful, tender book, which talks about loss through stars, which is something you know, it's it's intangible, but it's it, but it's tangible for kids in a sense that it's it's a metaphor that they can reach for. Um, and I think it's comforting. It's got so many beautiful elements in it, which it's no surprise to me that the community's really absorbed this book and been grateful for it because it's absolutely stunning. Well, one of the crazy things is um, this is the only metaphor that I could come up with, and it was the one I gravitated towards immediately. Um, I don't even remember thinking of any other options. I think I th started thinking about the story. After we had that miscarriage, I went to stay with my um, wife's family, who at the time were living in Brisbane, and um, just a sad, silent drive down to Brisbane. And I think I was thinking about it in my head then, I wanted to write something. But since then, I've spoken to so many people who have also, this is just the metaphor that everyone gravitates towards in this moment. So yesterday, um, I went to a, uh, a Red Nose Walk to Remember and um, there was a few people there who came up to me and, and said, oh, we, we've always um, pointed out um, our, our, our child as a little star in the sky to, to their siblings. And it's obviously um, one that just resonates with people. It does. And it's probably been used, you know, for eons. Like it's yes. probably not just our modern culture that's embraced this metaphor because it's stars are always there and they are comforting. You know, every time you go out into the night sky, there they are again. Uh, I can imagine that being a really comforting metaphor. Mm. Yeah. And even myself, I the first star I see at night, I always think of little Evie. So, oh, yeah. well, I'm glad she's always there with you. Of course she is. But, you know, that you can see see that reminder in the sky each night is is beautiful. I mean, it's, it goes without saying that this book is very different from the more humorous books that you've written. And you've spoken about it being such a personal story, uh, which already, you know, makes it quite different from your other books, I suppose. How does it feel, I suppose, having a book out there which is so different from those more humorous, light comedy books that you're used to writing? For me, it feels very liberating, actually, because I never wanted to be um, pigeonholed into 
just someone who writes humor. Part, part of the reason is I think personally, I, I love humor. Like I always think of um, humorous stories before I think of more heartfelt ones, but I do think it's the heartfelt ones which often resonate more and which probably because of that stand the test of time more and become a bit of a, a legacy, if you will. And so I, I, I've always wanted to write something that's meaningful and that will stand the test of time. So I'm very happy to have this book out and I'm really hoping that from here, like I'm hoping that a few things, I, I hope that it will make people um, want to read my other stories, um, even mm-hmm. though they are humorous, but um, you know, you read something sad, it might, it might be nice then to read something that's more humorous and uplifting. But also, I just hope it gives me the opportunity then for or makes publishers look at me in a different light potentially. Because I've got other stories um, that are heartfelt. And I remember with my previous agent, when I was just starting out, she said, like, you know, really at the moment, you need to focus on creating a bit of a brand. And because I was writing humor, just doing humor for, for the time being. My first book came out in 2020, where heading towards 2024 now and look at you with your raft of books as well since then it's what i think you've signed up 13 books is that right well actually i've got a funny story i'm gonna cut full full confession here yeah i'm bad at math and so (laughs) so i i I have signed up 13 books Uh but one of them did get cancelled so and i I wasn't 13 minus one yeah so i wasn't and i wasn't actually counting that when i counted 13 so it actually is 12 um but i'm pretty confident i'm quietly confident i'm going to have 13 um pretty shortly so Oh, 13's um, a lucky number. So, you know, but you've got quite a few books actually, you know, not just signed up, but actually in circulation already. I mean, you're very prolific, Rory. And I know we've spoken before about your process, like this way that you kind of are constantly generating ideas, constantly trying things out. Uh, yeah, I think it's wonderful that you're so explorative with it, but also, like you say, not just staying on brand in inverted commas. Uh, you are open to all possibilities. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, my next few books are pretty much just on brand. They're, they're just humorous yeah. stories. The way I write, I, I sit down, I'll have a broad idea. I don't really have a, an idea of where the story's going to go necessarily. I've got a, a rough idea of where I want, want it to go, but I um, don't have like a line by line or um, this needs to happen at this point of the story. I was writing something on um, Friday and um, I did reflect while I was writing it about my process a bit because I knew what I wanted to say in this one stanza and I just couldn't make it happen. So I just rather than focusing on a particular word, I just kept pivoting into what way I was saying something or if that wasn't going to work at all, just saying something completely different but similar, I guess. I'm a big believer in uh, using um, the thesaurus to find other words that <laughs> mean similar meanings. And- yeah, yeah. Oh, thesauruses are great. I use them all the time. So, Rory, when we met the other day in Kingscliff, uh, I got the pleasure of also meeting little Ada, who was your, how old is she, five-month-old baby? Yeah, um, six months on the 1st of uh, November. Awesome. Um, And she was sitting on your lap during our conversation. So we recorded for half an hour and then we talked, I think, for another at least half an hour. And she just sat there the whole time just smiling and gazing around. She's just a delightful little person. What a joy. And I've seen you on social media with her and I've seen you comment that since you've had her, your creativity has changed perhaps and you might even be even more prolific. Is that true? I think I am actually. It's something I worried about. I was. I remember years ago, um, going through a period of about six months where I didn't write at all, and in that six months, I was really worried that I'd lost it, and then it came back and it was fine. But I did worry again 
not that I lose it, but that I just not have the time essentially to, to write. But it's been the opposite. I've had not just the time, um, like I have to definitely navigate that more. Like I have to pick my moments and whatnot, multitask a bit more, but I've had more ideas as well. So like the, the, the story that just got signed up was the first story I wrote after Ayla was born. And she, at the time, I remember it very clearly because it wasn't that long ago. It was a Saturday night, um, the night before Mother's Day. So she was like a week and a half old. Georgia was asleep in the other room. Ada was asleep in one arm. She weighed nothing at the time, so it was great. And I was just um, not moving at all except for my thumb um, <laughs> in my right hand. And I was writing this story, um, just texting it to myself. And once I was able to put her in her bassinet, I then got out the laptop and copied and pasted and formatted. And I sent that story off to my agent, I think the next day or maybe maybe even that night. And um, she loved it. So, and then that's, yeah, that's the one that's um, just been signed. So I'm really feeling pretty good about life at the moment, to be honest. I've got this beautiful, <laughs> beautiful little girl who's a constant source of inspiration. Oh, you should. I, I really miss that time when the kids were really little because that little bubble I was in with the kids at home. And uh, there's a lot of time where you're just sitting there, like you say, holding a baby or, you know, I used to lie down with my kids to get them to sleep and things like that. And then moments where you can't physically do anything else. And I found that's what, why I ended up doing any of this stuff in the first place was because I had so many moments where I was forced to just sit down and be still or lie down and be still. And my mind, though, was constantly sort of wanting to go somewhere and it was going into a place of stories. And I think because you're around little people as well, it's just a magical bubble. And I'd never be, I've never been as prolific as I was when, you know, the kids were really young, which is, feels paradoxical because you're like, you don't have any time. You haven't even got time to go to the toilet. (laughs) And yet creative wise, for me, it was a really, you know, amazing productive time as well. So yeah, it's nice to hear you talk about that. Yeah. I found that, um, Sleep was so broken and um, you're tired, but you're, you, your mind's going wild 100 miles an hour. So what I would do to try to put myself to sleep was I'd try write a, a stanza till it was perfect in my mm. head. So um, i just think of anything, like absolute nonsense, and write till it was perfect in my head just as an exercise, just to, to put myself to sleep. But oftentimes I found that while I was writing, I was like, oh, that's actually not too bad. And I, I know from experience that I will not remember that next day. So I pull myself up from falling asleep and just quickly text it to myself. And, and then, all right, well, you got nailed that one. So I guess you got to start a new stanza now. And, and I remember one night writing half a book in about half an hour before I was like, no, okay, you really need to go to sleep. So I just closed my eyes and stopped thinking about everything at all. But yeah. Oh, it requires a certain discipline. I know this, oh, that's so frustrating because at some point, you you know those best ideas are just as you're going to sleep. Oh, I gotta wake up and write it down or I've got to lose it forever. I know I've had so many amazing books be created like just as I'm falling asleep. Well, who knows if they're amazing? They felt amazing. <laughs> who yeah, knows? I'll never see them because they're gone. I, I have had a few where it's you middle of the night and you've you've been asleep, you've dreamt up this amazing story and you you roll over and you 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 go through this moment where you're not you're not really asleep, but you're not really awake either, and you're like having a battle with yourself like do i stay asleep or do i wake up enough to write this down and generally for me the sleep wins out because i'm like i'll remember this in the morning and i never do but on the other occasion where i have convinced myself that no you need to write this down i'll turn over text myself something and next day it, it means absolutely nothing anyway like it's no sometimes it's not even a word or a sentence or it might be a word or a sentence but there's no context to it so like you just don't remember 
Yeah, well, you're in a kind of altered state of consciousness, I suppose. And at the time, it feels amazing. And then you come out of that altered state, you're like, oh, maybe in the light of day, <laughs> not yeah. sure if it is as amazing as I thought it was. But yeah, for me, it's like first thing in the morning, if I allow myself to stay in bed and just let my mind wander, good things happen inevitably. But yeah, it's so easy not to do that. You know, oh, got to get up and start the day. <laughs> yeah. Rory, it's so exciting uh, that you're in this, you know, new lease of life, this productive time, you're branching out, doing new things. This this book, My Little Star, is genuinely beautiful. I'm so happy that it's reached so many people already all the way over in Canada, even though they can't physically get to that book yet. And I'm I'm happy for you that you've been able to put these feelings down on paper and allowed it to reach so many people. So thank you on behalf of all those people who need a story like this. Um, and congratulations. It's absolutely beautiful. Thank you, Zanny. I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's been lovely to chat to you as always. Thank you for listening to the Sunshine House podcast. This episode was produced by Virtual Creatrix. Music was written by Gregor Hutchka and produced by Brett Canning. If you enjoyed this episode, please like, subscribe, leave us a review, a rating and share with your friends. All of those wonderful things are much appreciated and help us find new listeners. If you are a creator yourself and would like to tap into a very supportive community, you can search up the Sunshine House Writers and Creatives on Facebook. We will let you in the door and inspire you, support you, all of those wonderful things. I have a new course available called the Sunshine House Children's Book Course, which is a collection of skills and knowledge to cover all sorts of aspects of the children's book industry. If you're interested in checking that out and doing a course from the comfort of home, have a look at my website, zannylouise.com. It's been wonderful spending this time with you today. Have a lovely, sunshiny day.